Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, which is what I want to talk about tonight, second attribute, وَالَّذِينَ هُمَنَ اللَّهُ مُعْرِذُونَ And who are the believers? They are the ones who turn away, do a'raz. They absolutely turn away, they spurn, they renounce love. What is love? Hmm? Doesn't necessarily have to be haram. May not even be makru. There are many things that are halal, mubah, lawful, licit, permissible that fall under love. Love means futile, vain, pointless, superfluous, extraneous, without any benefit in the akhirah and without any benefit for our deen, but permissible to do. That's called love. A lot of things we do that fall in this category. Absolutely permissible, even there will be some things like that. Absolutely permissible, but of absolutely no value whatsoever. No purpose whatsoever. Have no meaning whatsoever. Meaningless, mundane, futile, pointless activity. That's called love. And the believers are the ones who turn away from this entirely. Now why did I mention this? Let me just do one more ayah to show you one more thing because Mufti Amal Khanpur he mentioned this interesting point. Let me just do that for you. So he mentioned something. And I like to mention the names of the people if I learn a point from them which I truly didn't know myself. Hmm? I could pass it off to you tonight as myself. Hmm? How you would never know. Hmm? You think, oh, he's a big sheikh. He came up with such an interesting point of the seat. It's not like that. Hmm? We heard this from Mufti Ahmad Khanpui, and he must have read it in works of tafsir. The entire Quran, Allah subhanahu wa licks the command of salah. When, when in the entire Quran, Allah subhanahu wa couples the command to pray salah and offer zakah, Allah subhanahu wa always does that in consecutive ayat except for two places. And one of them is this. Allah said to have khushu in salah, and then later will say, you must pay zakah, and in the middle, Allah Subhanahu inserted And he used this to illustrate how important it is to stay away from love. Hmm? How important it is to stay away from futile things. Maybe just in case somebody still doesn't understand what love is, just think mobile phone, cell phone usage, internet, talk hmm? time, data time, data usage, surfing. Hmm? Then you'll get an idea. Of course, there are many things that can be done through those two means that are haram. But even things that are halal, that are permissible, that have no benefit, no value, no interest to you, that falls under love. Hmm? Might be sports, might be news, might be cars. For women it might be fashion, might be cooking recipes, might be gardening tips. Hmm? And there's a certain extent that some of these things may be necessary. If it's necessary, it's not love. But if it's completely superfluous, extra, it falls under this category. Alright. So, this means that in order to be true believers, complete believers, perfect believers, it is a condition that we leave this. Why did I pick this topic for you tonight? One reason is that Dr. Yusuf said that pick this topic for tonight. That was one reason. Yes? Another reason is that after Ramadan, what happens to most people? It's not that they go straight into sin. 
What happens after Ramadan? They go straight into this. <coughs> All the internet they didn't use in Ramadan, they start using it in Shawal. In America, I don't know if you have, I don't think you have that here. Some American cell phone plans have what they call rollover minutes. Rollover. <laughs> if you don't use it in June, it's like you got a thousand minutes, you don't use it in June, so you just use ten minutes, you roll over nine ninety minutes into July. This is what people do in Ramadan. They don't do low, they stop surfing, alhamdulillah, they stop using their cell phone, they stop reading so much newspaper, stop following so much sports because they're busy fasting, praying taraweeh, they make goals for themselves to make khatam of one Qur'an, two Qur'an. But what did they do? All of that futile activity that alhamdulillah they did stay away from in Ramadan, they roll over, they roll it over, and they do all of that in the very beginning instead of Shabbat. They don't return to sin, but they return to their hobbies and pastimes. Now what happens? That's the beginning of the slide. <coughs> Simply speaking, they return to ghafla. So understand, no doubt that is also another ban for another topic, for another time, leaving sin. But we also have to leave ghafla. Ghafla means when you're heedless, you're mindless, you're heartless, you're spending time in a way that is empty of the remembrance and worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Qur'an al-Kareem, وَلَا تَكُمْ مِنَ الْغَافِلِينَ That don't let yourself ever be from those people who forget Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Don't forget. And it's a simple reason. Because when you forget Allah, you will forget your Abdullah. When you forget Allah and you forget your Abdullah, shaitan will remember you. <laughs> yes? Shaitan will remember you and he will remind you of some sinful feeling, some sinful urge. He will use your nafs and bring you into sin. It's very rare that a person can go from an ibadah like Ramadan directly into sin. They must go through ghafla first. First step ghafla, next step sin. Our problem is after Ramadan, we don't step, we leap into ghafla. We leap into it. Hmm? And then once you leap into ghafla, it's very easy to fall into sin. Now listen to hadith of Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. مِنْ حُسْنِ إِسْلَامِ الْمَرْئِ تَلْكُهُ مَا لَا يَعْنِيهِ From the husn, from the beauty, nobility, virtue of the deen of a person, is that they leave tark, they leave, they disavow, they entirely abstain and refrain from what? Tarkuhu mala ya'nihi, his leaving every single thing. Those in Arabic, ma, every single thing, la ya'nihi, that does not concern him. Hmm? Now we say this to other people, right? What's the sentence we say often to others? Mind your business. Hmm? What does it mean? We're trying to apply hadith on them. <laughs> huh? Mind your business. None of your business. Mind your business. None of your business. Hmm? Nabiya Kareem sallallahu was telling us, mind your business. <laughs> From the virtue and beauty and perfection of the deen of a believer is that they mind their own business. <laughs> there was a great muhaddith. His name was Imam Abu Dawood Imam Abu Dawood gathered a very important book of hadith called the Sunan of Abu Dawood. And he writes his own, not often you find this, but the Muhaddithin, sometimes they write their own preface explaining how they compiled this work. So a few hundred thousand, I don't remember, was it 300,000 or 500,000? Chains of narrations from which he selected about 4,800 or so hadith. 
And then he says, from them, he thinks that there are four hadiths, four. Four hadiths that are sufficient for the deen of a believer, and one of those four hadith is this. Hmm? When somebody like Imam Abu Dawud, says something like this, this is a very major thing. Major thing. And then it realize, we can realize how little amal we do on this hadith. Hmm? How little amal we do on this hadith. Thus you understand who Imam Abu Dawud was, very muttaki, pious person. There's a word in Arabic called wara. The closest English word for that is called scrupulousness. It means to have fine-tuned taqwa. That's wara. To have taqwa in the most fine matters. So Imam Abu Dawud according to his legal understanding, and some Hanifu ulama also have this position, that if somebody says salam to you, it is wajib, it is required to return salam. And, and more have that understanding. And second, if somebody sneezes and says alhamdulillah, it is a wajib to say yarhamakullah. Now the extra fine tuning was what? That you have to say it in a way that the other person hears it. This is the fine tuning I was saying. Some hanifulama also add that. Alright. Imam al was on a boat and the boat passed somebody on the shore. The person on the shore, he sneezed, said, Alhamdulillah. Imam al wanted to say, Yahamakullah, but the boat passed and he thought that maybe that person didn't hear my saying, Yahamakullah. So then when he reached the shore himself, he rented another boat for one dirham. He went back to that person found that person and he went up to him and said, Yarhamakullah. Allahu Akbar Kabira. Ajeeb. It's a person like that who Allah Ta'ala accepts to make muhaddith. In fact, I just thought of some other story I can tell you that I will tell you inshallah. Clear. So it comes as mentioned that that night somebody saw a dream in which they saw Imam Abu Dawrim Allah Ta'ala and they saw that he attained Jannah for the cost of one dirham. In other words, because he said that one yahamukullah to that person. This is the type of person that he was. So actually, if you think about Imam Abu Dawud, he was in the position that if a person teaches hadith, they should first teach the book of Abu Dawud for the ulama of the right? And many of you would know one of his greatest students, Sheikh Yunus John Puri, just passed away in the last 24, 36, 48 hours. Hmm? Allah These great muhaddisin, a very few of them left in this world. You may be surprised what I'm about to say. It's a very strong statement. It's possible that Sheikh Yunus John Puri, was the greatest Dubandi muhaddis alive when he was alive. May Allah have mercy on his soul. Hmm? Ajib. My own teacher, Bukhari Shreef, Sheikh Sufi Sawar, he also Mangalai taught Abu Dawud first, and then he taught Bukhari Sharif. Ghaliban, I can't remember now, but maybe it was true about Sheikh Yunus also. I can't remember about that. Here, we were telling you about this hadith in Husayn Islam al-Bari, Tarkuhu Mala Ya'nihi. That from the beauty of a person is that they should leave things that are meaningless. Now, if we were to do hisab of this, how much time do me and you spend in 24 hours 
doing something that is meaningless and pointless. So I'm going to open that up for you right now. So another way we explain this is fuzul, means extra. Fadl means extraneous, leftover, superfluous. You'd be amazed at how many things we do are fuzul. Let's take eating. So there's one type of food that you eat that is required for you to survive and be strong and be fit. There may be a little, another extra amount of eating that you do to make your host happy, family member happy, to make your tongue happy, to make your stomach happy. And then when you cross that line, anything you eat is fuzul. So a nutritionist would tell you that there's so many calories you need every day and there's so many calories you eat every day. Now what happens? So we say in Urdu, Charbi ban jayega, charbi. You will get fat. Hmm? You will get fat. Now I want you to understand what happens. It's your nafs that gets fat. Very simple, I'm going to tell you in a deep spiritual insight. When you take the amount of calories that science says you need for your physical strength because you need that energy, because you will spend that energy. You will burn those calories. That is fine. Any extra calories that you take, zahir, outwardly, it will become physical fat. In terms of your batin, it will go straight to the nafs. That energy will go to the nafs. Outwardly, the calories that you need, you will burn. In your batin, the calories that you need go to your ruh. And you will get barakah. And you will use that strength and energy for the obedience and worship of Allah subhanahu ta'ala. And when you do extra eating, it will go to your nafs. This is why Imam al-Ghazayr in his Ahiyah when he wanted to write about how to break the unlawful, lustful desire, he made a book called what? Kitab Kasra Shahwatain. The book explaining how to break the two desires. One is the desire of unlawful lust and the second is what in fancy English they call gluttony. Extraneous fuzul desire to eat. Because if you eat more, you will have more lust. And this is why Ramadan, لَأَلَّكُمْ تَتَّكُونَ What is the relationship between fasting and taqwa? Because when you fast, you experience hunger. Imagine the person who spent 30 days on this training exercise, that they will fast and feel hunger in order to curb their nafs and have taqwa, and the next thing you know in shawal, they start overeating and they start feeding their nafs again. It's not not a rational thing to do. Most of us, we fall in that category. Hmm? Another aspect of fudu. Sheikh Malakam Zaman Sahib, he told interest, he wrote actually something, which I read. And that's fudu will suffer. It's your holiday season, we're hitting them very hard tonight. Huh? If you're with me, so you must not be in fudu will suffer. You're sitting at home in Portchepson tonight. Fudu will suffer. Traveling beyond a need. So sometimes there may be a need for your business to travel. Sometimes a person travels for the sake of acquiring knowledge of deen. Sometimes a person travels to visit relatives. Okay. Then I'll be gentle, like I said. Tongue and stomach, remember? I'll be gentle and say, okay, sometimes you might travel for the purpose of a lawful, permissible, worthwhile rest and recreation. But that's very delicate how much that is. I'm allowing that it exists, but I'm suggesting to you that many times that type of travel, vacation, sometimes we do it beyond what would be a legitimate need for rest. Hmm? 
Whenever you cross that boundary, you end up in a fudul. When you end up in a fudul, it goes straight to your nafs. So one litmus test you can think is, okay, when you go on the travel holiday, so night number one, you still make your regular ibadat that you make when you're home, it's good. Night number two, you make the same regular ibadat, daytime ibadat that you do when you're home, good. If by day three, night number three, you find yourself getting soft in your ibadah, you find yourself getting lax in ibadah, you find yourself getting tempted, attracted to screen or to pastime or to things that you don't even do that type of stuff at home, that means now the vacation has gone on too long and better that you go back home. <laughs> I repeat again, ayah to you, that who are the believers, the believers are the way who turn away from absolutely lawful, permissible things that have no benefit to their akhirah and deen. That's who a believer is. Who is saying it? Allah Ta'ala. Where is he saying it? Quran al-Kareem. It's not some Sufi theory. A lot of people think this is some Sufi theory. Because you probably heard that, especially in this country. We hear these things a lot. Because in our countries also, India, Pakistan, we hear eat less, talk less, sleep less. That's Quran al-Kareem. <laughs> That's just the explanation of our beautiful way that our Messiah had of explaining. But don't think it's some Sufi theory. It's Quran al-Kareem, it's Deen islam So that brings me to the next puzzle, sleeping. The same story. I'm just, I, I can go on and on and on. Same story. There's a certain amount of sleep that you need, physically, physiologically, to restore your strength, to take away the fatigue. And if you sleep beyond that, if you sleep, when you sleep up to that, you get the strength. And if you sleep beyond that, your nafs gets the strength. And when the nafs becomes strong, you become weak. You just ask those young men who wake up on Sunday at 11 a.m. They don't wake up fresh. They should wake up super turbocharged because they slept 10 hours. But when you see them and they wake up at 11 a.m., they're all groggy. All groggy. Why? Because they overslept. They overslept and that extra sleep went to their nafs and they're dragging this heavy, like if somebody's dragging a heavy backpack, like somebody, rucksack, hmm? dragging heavy rucksack, they're dragging heavy nafs with them. That's where they're feeling groggy. They can't get out of bed. <laughs> yeah, I understand. If you were ever to sit with these ulama, mudarrisu, shayukh, you will see they don't have these things in their life. <laughs> Sometimes it's a conscious effort on their part, mujada, And sometimes Allah Ta'ala blesses them with this unconsciously that anything that goes to the nafs, Allah Ta'ala protects it from them. The extra food that goes to the nafs, they end up tabam. It's not even a mujada for them. It's their own natural tabiat, their own natural personality. They eat less. If extra sleep goes to the nafs, Allah Ta'ala gives it to them tabam. Fitratan even, I would say. That they even sleep less. They don't chat people up, they chat less. Hmm? If even any of these great ulama shirk, they chat with us, it's just because they're trying to be kind and friendly with us and soften us up for the heavy blow when they give us deen. Hmm? Just like that. Huh? And you must have it here also, that when you have Eid al-Adha, huh? and you're feeding the goat, huh? and fattening up for the heavy blow. Hmm? So now you should think I give you two, three basic things. You could go on and on and on. I want to tell you one or two more things. Because you've heard about eat less, sleep less, talk less. I'm going to give you one or two more. Listen less. 
listenless. There's a lot of fuzul listening that we do. A lot of things that we hear, that we don't need to hear. And that creates clutter in our mind. Hmm? And then a person says, I can't focus on salah. Yeah, but you just had this whole long conversation for 20 minutes outside the masjid. Randomly talking about events that are happening 1,000 miles away from you, which you have no ability to change. Yes, so when you come in salah, it will numb your ability to do the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Most people, alhamdulillah, like who would sit for a bayan and pray five times a day, most people who fall in that category, who say they can't focus and concentrate in salah, it's not necessarily because they're doing some evil sin. They just hear too many things, they think too many things, there's too much junk and clutter in their mind, and therefore they can't focus on Allah and salah. Can you imagine what a price is to pay? Literally, right before you come, if you check your news or check the sports score, it's enough. It's enough to take away your concentration with Salah. Just checking that sports score, it's enough. It's enough. Oh, but people don't realize these things. They're paying the cost without realizing it. Hmm? And shaitan is big business. Huh? That's what they, the big businessmen they call big business. And they get people to pay the cost without realizing it. So shaitan drags mu'mineen into ghafla and love and makes them pay the cost of remembering Allah Ta'ala, pay the cost of zikr of Allah Ta'ala without them realizing it. And they repeat it, repeat it, repeatedly, repeatedly surfing, checking right before they enter the masjid, right before they pray salah. Then not even noticing, not even noticing that they're not even able to concentrate inside their salah. Alright? So very simple, how does it begin? you begin empty. Your thoughts and your heart begin empty. If you don't fill in that emptiness with zikrullah, with tilawat al-Quran, with dua, with ilm al-deen, knowledge of tafsir, sirat al-Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and if instead you fill it with all types of random, assorted, miscellaneous, fuzul, love things, then what happens? Then you end up filling your gaps in your mind and you fill gaps in your time also with this stuff. Layani. Hmm? And then it can reach such a state, reach such a state that it spills over into our zikr, spills over into our ibadah. Hmm? That's what you should think that happens. Anytime you had a worldly thought in salah, it means you had those worldly thoughts so much that it filled up your heart, filled up your mind, and it spilled over into your ibadah. That's how much you had. So because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is hadith, and he wants to guide us. That's what Allah tells us in Quran that the believers are the one who flee from these things. You know, in Hanafi fiqh, there's a position, and many people they know this masla. You don't have to be mufti to know this, but I'm going to tell you. That if it's time for salah, but somebody maybe didn't know it was time for salah, and they laid out the hot food right there, so you should eat first. You can eat first and pray later. Everybody is a mufti when it comes to this masla. Hmm? Eat first and pray later. And sometimes when you think about it, a person wonders, why do Imam Muniyah come up with this position? The reason was, very simply, because he didn't want, that when he's praying, he didn't want to think about the food. And, and look at these people, this is what a fine-tuned taqwa. Hmm? He didn't want that when he's praying, he should think about food. What does it mean? Because he wants that when he prays, he only thinks about Allah. He says, let me eat first. 
Now I'll add, I'm not saying my refer, it's not said this, what I'm about to say. Let me eat first, and all the time while I eat, I will think about praying. <laughs> while I eat. <laughs> Let me eat first, so that all the time while I eat, I will think about praying, and then I will be done eating, and I will go pray. As opposed to, let me pray first and all the time I'm thinking while I'm praying about the food and when I'm done praying I will go eat. Now you understand? Allahu Akbar Kabira. Understand the muscle now. But it should be intelligent not to lay out the food at the prayer time. Allahu Akbar. This is how these people, they care, they value their thoughts. About thinking about food is jayas, right? Food is permissible. It's, and, and Imam referred to food must have been halal, tayyib, risk. Hmm? And he must have been genuinely hungry. No, 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 I don't want, I don't want thoughts of food in my mind. I just now take that as an example for every single thing in the dunya. That example of food. That we don't want it in our mind and we don't want it in our heart. Now, the only person who can do amal on this is the person who values their time. Most people, they slip into law and ghafla because they don't value time. Time flies by. We used to sometimes teach, teach the youth, as an American woman to have this expression, you ask them, what are you doing? Say, I'm killing time. Allah Akbar? What are you up to? I'm killing time. What's going on? Killing some time. Hmm? They have to tell them. It's not killing time, time is killing you. Well, aswi innal insana lafi ghus. Nobody can kill time. <laughs> time can kill you. Ah, illa nadina amanu wa amilu salihati wa tawasum bil haqqi wa tawasum bil sabr. That person can say he's killing time. But not the young men or middle-aged men for that matter. Or even more than middle-aged men for that matter who are just hanging out, loitering, talking, chatting. Hmm? No doubt, there is a certain element that a person should be social. Don't get me wrong. We don't talk to anybody. Right? You need to watch over your heart. Everybody's different. You have to keep watch over your heart. What is the extent of social activity that does not distract you from the zikr of Allah Ta'ala? And when does it cross the line? And it makes you forget Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. But that's when you should stop. It might be different for different people. It might be different for different people. So the Arabs... They used to train their youth on how to value time. Sahabakam and Tabayin used to value time. Abdullah ibn Mubarak ta'ala, in his kitab al-Zod, he quotes Hassan al-Basri ta'ala, as saying that I met a group of people, you mean Sahabakam, that they were so stingy with their time the way today people are stingy with just one dirham and dinar. Hmm? means they would spend their time carefully. It's also a lesson that we're supposed to learn in Ramadan. Go back to Quran Kareem, what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? Ayyama ma'dudat. Kutiba alaykum asyam kama kutiba ala ladheena min kamlikum la'allakum tattakun ayyama ma'dudat. Limited number of days. So that you value your time. You value your time. So we just passed Ramadan we value the time in Ramadan, especially 27, 28, 29 Ramadan. So just compare yourself to yourself. Compare how well you, Alhamdulillah, with the Fazl Karim of Allah Ta'ala, manage your time in terms of deen, ibadat, dua, zikr, talawat, the Quran, dawat, salah, masjid, tabir, ula.
compare yourself to yourself, how well you manage your time in terms of deen just now in Ramadan and how you're managing your time right now in Shawwal. Yes. It'll be enough, you'll understand. It's a problem. It's a question we should ask. Why don't we learn these lessons? If you're a child and you spend 30 days explaining something to him and you see like by day 21, just think it off, by day 21 he seems to start understanding it and by 27th night he really seems to understand it and then you basically stop explaining it to him by day and night 30 and then you see one week later he starts forgetting it. Then you'll sit him down. Say, Beta, when will you learn? <laughs> How many times I have to give you this lesson? Hmm? When will you learn the lesson? That this is our condition after Ramadan. You don't learn the lessons of Ramadan. Allah Akbar. And we again lost time. You know, there's a famous story. So I did calculation for you today. Hazrat Shaykh Ladeesh mentioned it. Aidan Fazal Amal or Fazal Sadaqat. I can't remember. Long time since I've seen it there. But a very well known story. You would know. That there was a wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he used to eat roti and he baked bread. And then he thought to himself, you know, why don't I just take the flour and just drop it in water, what we call sattu in Urdu, and just drink it. Very scientific mind, right? Same calories, same, he's thinking very scientifically actually, like a nutritionist. It'll be the same calories, same everything, but I will save time. So how much time? Save time, I will be able to use that time to recite subhanallah 70 times. And then it's mentioned that he did that for 40 years. So I did some math. 70 times subhanAllah, times 40 years, times 360 days a year, equals 1,008,000. 1 million times he got subhanAllah. Then I thought of another hadith, that the Kareem sallallahu said, that that person who says subhanAllah once, it's like they plant a tree, the shade of that tree is greater than this earth. You remember, it's more than the greater than the source. Maybe ten times here. Hmm? Just imagine that. Whatever, I don't remember the exact fazilat now. One tree is planted in Jannat for that person. The shade of that tree is extremely large. Let's put it that way. And this person, one million. Hmm? I was thinking, okay, now if I tell this to the people, nobody. I also, I don't do Amalana, right? I, don't, I eat roti. Right? So I think also, that if you tell this to people and you don't practice it yourself, so that's called nifat. So they're not going to practice it. I don't practice it myself. We all read roti. Nobody is ready to leave roti and just put flour and water. If you are, mashallah. Hmm? So then how to do amal on this? It's very simple. We say in English, you can have your cake and eat it too. You eat your roti and do one tasbih of subhanallah hundred times a day. That's it. Done. If he was doing 70 times, I'm giving 100 times. <laughs> and he did 70 times for 40 years, got 1 million. 1 million. <laughs> so if you would do it 100 times, and then I didn't do that math actually. Come to think of it, I should have done that for you. It's probably going to be 1.2 or 1.3 million if you get 40 more years. <laughs> but we don't think like that. This is our problem. We hear the stories, we read hadith, we say, oh, mashallah. But we don't think how to translate into practice. Maybe if you can ever just listen to carefully. If you hear something in Deen or hear some story of some great Sabi or some Tabi and he did something that you can't practice that exactly. Okay, translate. Convert. Do currency exchange. Right? 
You don't have dollars, okay, you take rent. Hmm? Take something. Take something out from that. Find some way to do amal on that hadith or on that story, what was optional. Find some way to do it at some level in your life. So I give you an example that occurred to me how we can do amal on this. To the value time, Nabi Akrim sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said a very often quoted hadith that you should value five things before you lose them. It's only if you do amal on all these hadith that we will be able to stay away from love. First, value youth before old age. Value youth before old age. Youth in our deen either is 40 lunar years, some ulama believed it was even 35. Stopped at 35. Lunar, which means about 33 solar or 38 solar. Why? What does it mean value youth? What does it mean? To value your youth before your old age. So the Arabs had a poem, they would tell their youth that if you don't attain greatness by the age of 20, if you don't attain greatness by the age of 20, you will never attain greatness at all. Imagine youth who are raised on such a poem, who are taught such a concept. Hmm? Like if you have, mashallah, Port Shepston Muslim school. Hmm? If you tell the youth like that, if you don't attain greatness by the age of 20, you will never attain greatness at all. Hmm? Value their youth. Youth has a certain power in it. To do amal, youth has a power in it to get a hal, sifat, your character. Your personality. Hmm? It's easier to change who you are when you are youth. And it's harder to change who you are. You understand who you are? Sindin, one is your outward hulia. What you wear and how you look. That's relatively easy to change. Second is what you do. How you act, your amal. That's a bit more difficult. More difficult to change. But the most difficult thing to change is who you are. That's called akhlaq. So a lot of people, they can change their look, they change their amal, but they can't change their akhlaq. Youth is that time when it's the easiest to change your akhlaq, to change who you are, to become a true, saleh, muttaqi believer. So value that time before old age comes upon you and you won't be able to change who you are. Value health before illness. Second thing, Nabi Akareem sallallahu said, why? So health, what does it mean? Do more ibadat, do more tawaf, do more umrah, try to go on hajj if you're healthy. Hmm? And you have far hajj still do upon you. Value your health before you become sick. Or it can be even just in terms of the year, almost everybody gets sick a few days a year. So work hard, be active when you're healthy before you become sick. I would add to this as commentary, value your parents' health before your parents become sick. Hmm? Value your parents' mental health before they maybe mentally deteriorate. Hmm? I knew one person that they were regretting that, oh, I never asked my father about our forefathers and all these stories and now my father can no longer remember these things. Hmm? And he knew so much and the whole family history and it's all lost. So what happened? You didn't value your father's health before your father fell ill. The very thing that a person can help do, help them do khidmat of their parents. Third, value wealth before poverty. Now what does that mean? 
not necessarily poverty, and you might not even have wealth. It means value financial ease before you fall in financial hardship. Another reason why Nabi Kareem Sallallahu taught us these things is nothing is permanent. Even if Allah has blessed you with financial ease, it's not permanent. And at some point, Allah will change the times and circumstances on a person. Youth is not permanent, you will grow old. Health is not permanent, you will to some level have health issues. And even financial ease is not permanent, at some point you will have financial difficulty. So how do you value financial ease? Hmm? Does it mean we think, oh I better save and stock up? No, no. Value financial ease, give sadaqah. Give sadaqah more when you easily can, before there will come a time when you cannot give so much, or you cannot give so easily. Number four, but most relevant for tonight, value faragh in your free time before you become busy. This is a big problem with people, and it's called procrastination. Hmm? They're not passive time wasters; they actively waste time in love in futile things. And it's not because they're free. But they're procrastinating. It's not because they're free. They actually have something real to do. But they delay the real thing and they occupy themselves in the futile thing. That's called procrastination. The person is totally free, you can't call procrastinator. It's just, what the, it's just, it's a loafer. But this person has real, substantive, beneficial, worthwhile things to do, but they keep delaying it, keep postponing it. Why? Because they're busy, actively, doing things that are completely pointless to them. And then what happens? Or oh, then the pressure comes. <laughs> and when the pressure comes, then they get crippled, and then they can't do anything. Then they crush under the pressure. It happens to students. I've seen it happen to professionals. It happens to parents. Hmm? How it happens to parents. You have a worthwhile thing to do, which is to spend time with your children. Instead, you're busy spending time on the screen. You're procrastinating. Wasting time, wasting time. When you have a real duty to do tarbiyat of your children. And then the children grow up and then they start rebelling and then the pressure comes. But it's too late now. Hmm? Time lost can never be gained. You know what I mean? You can do kazaab salah. There's no kazaab waqt. <laughs> you know that? Salah is part. You can even make up for missed salah, missed prayer. There's nothing you can do to make up for missed time. You say, ah, oh, my kid is 16 now. Then you come running to Shaykh. <laughs> huh? Shaykh, Malana, my son doesn't listen to me. Sure. How old is he? Oh, he's 18 now. Shaykh, he doesn't listen to me. So, okay, what have you been doing for 18 years? <laughs> Before you even dare to ask me that question, first tell me. 18 years I was the best father I could be and my son doesn't listen to me. Okay, Shaykh will stop what he's doing and try to help you. If you can't say that first sentence. Hmm? And if your reality is 18 years I was lackadaisical and slack as a father and now my son isn't listening to me. So what can I do for you? Hmm? Hmm? Oh, Don't realize these things. Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa is trying to train us and teach us these things. <coughs> All about valuing time and staying away from fuzul. 
You ask the person, what, what have you been doing for 18 years? They won't be able to answer. They can't even give you an account. <laughs> They'll be stunned on the Day of Judgment. When we see our own book of deeds, we'll be stunned. When we actually see how we spent our life. We'll be dazed. Not even just the sin, even this stuff we will be stunned. You know that bad person said subhanAllah 70 times, right? And you're going to see million trees. Hmm? We're going to see so many gaps, gaps, holes. Holes in our Alhamdulillah, at least it's not sin. But it's still a hole, it's a gap. You know, that's also a deed of Nabi Kareem sallallahu That in Jannah, the Ahlul Jannah will have no hasra. They will have no regret or remorse or sadness except one. And that is, they will regret every lamha, every moment that they spent in a ghafla in this world. hadith, because all of you know that there's so many ayat in Quran and hadith which talk about Jannah is pure happiness, pure bliss, pure joy, ecstasy, right? And there's one, only one hadith that says, mentions sadness in Jannah. What is that sadness over? time we wasted in this world. In fact, a person in Jannah will be so enjoying Jannah, they won't even remember anything in this world. They won't even remember the good things in this world because they're enjoying much more good things in Jannah. But they will remember one thing. They will remember and feel sad over the ghafla. Go back to ayah. Who are the believers? They're the ones who run away from this ghafla. They will have no regrets in Jannah. Then you think, next time we waste 10 minutes, I'm going to get this in Jannah. Yalla, even if I make it to Jannah, and out of your mercy you send me to Jannah, and I'll be happy about everything in Jannah, but I'm going to regret how I spent this Sunday. <laughs> Imagine that. Now, Jannah is forever. So what does it mean? They will eternally, forever, have this regret. Even they will see Allah Ta'ala later, they will still have regret that I wasted time in world. Even they will get to spend time with Nabiya Kareem some Jannah, still they will have regret that I was ghafal in this world. Forever they will have one regret, the time they were ghafal in this world. Imagine. How much stronger, I don't think there's anything more strong that our deen could teach us about how not to be in ghafla. I don't think there's any stronger way Nabi Kareem Sallallahu could have explained to us that this is a regrettable act that you waste time. This is a regrettable act that you procrastinate. These are regrettable acts, the things that we do. Hmm? We don't understand. We don't understand. But the last thing, then Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu said on those five things, is value life itself before death overtakes you. Hmm? This is what it means. Value every moment of life itself before death overtakes you. Allahu Akbar Kabira. Let me give you a story so you understand from hadith, that you, from the sahaba, that you understand what it means to do amal on hadith. Maybe I want to illustrate this to you. What does it mean to really practice hadith? So once Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Umar ta'ala was going somewhere on his camel and he passed by a grave take a qabr he stopped his camel he got down he paid two rakah salah and then he kept going 
So somebody asked him, maybe thinking that maybe there's some special spot or special thing. He said, Sayyidina Rasulullah, he said, I know hadith, that Sayyidina Rasulullah said that when the person enters their grave, they will wish that they could just pray two more rakah salah. So this is a person that's amal on their ill. So he says, but I, I knew that hadith, and I was passing by and I saw grave. And I remember what the Prophet said. I said, before I enter the grave myself, and wish I could pray two more rakah salah, and not be able to, let me pray two rakah salah right now. That's what's called being understanding hadith. That's what's called practicing hadith. You understand? Achieve. Hmm? Applying it. Applying the hadith. Living it. He lived the hadith. This is on our deen. It's called ilmun nafi. Ilmun nafi, beneficial knowledge, means number one, the ilm that leads to amal, that leads to practice. A second meaning of ilmun nafi is that knowledge is beneficial that you recall it. It becomes a guidance for you at the time of guidance. That's exactly what happened to Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Umar. It was ilman nafir. As soon as you saw the grave, you remembered hadith. And he prayed two rakats. Can you imagine what type of two, what feeling he would have prayed those two rakats with? Can you imagine the ikhlas with which he prayed those two rakats? Can you imagine the fikr that this Jalil al-Qadr sahabi has for entering his grave? Hmm? This is called deen. This is what it means by valuing time. That you use that time for the ibadat of Allah subhanahu ta'ala. We use that time for the zikr of Allah subhanahu ta'ala. Use that time for the ibadat of Allah subhanahu ta'ala. Use that time for the zikr of Allah subhanahu ta'ala. Allah akbar So time is a raw material. Raw material. That you will use. Now when people say time goes by fast... That's also a sign that something's wrong. I'll give you an example from this world. So there's something they call a slow cooked meal. That's better. The more time is the ingredient in something, the better it is. Slow cooked meal. Or when you eat it, we said, oh, we had a relaxed dinner together. More time. Hmm? Or we spent a lot of time together with my brother. More time. So when you put more time in the raw, as a raw ingredient, then you enjoy that act more. Just bring that falsafah into your salah. And ulama then mentioned, if you want to increase the time in your salah, even just by a few seconds, even by a few seconds, such as, instead of just saying, Subhanallah, three times in Ruku, say it five times, seven times, in sajda, sujood, Subhanallah, say it five times, say it seven times, this is a few second increase. You try this and you will see just adding a little bit more time will increase your concentration in Salah so much. In fact, just those two extra Subhana Rabbi Al-Adla you will say will have so much ikhlas in them. I'm making it more practical. Sam Rabbi had two whole rakats. <laughs> I'm telling you, just say two more Subhana Rabbi Al-Adla in your sajda. Hmm? It's doable. Practical. Add a little more time. When you recite Quran, okay, you're reciting Quran Kareem. You're about to close it. Read one more ayah. One extra ayah. Don't you do that when you eat? MashaAllah. You're done. One more boti. You do that. You take one more bite. That's it. Right? Try it in Quran. Try it. Just the same way you enjoy it in food. You enjoy it in food. You have to use these things to enjoy your ibadah. You're making dua to Allah. You're about to stop. One more dua. One sentence more. Try it. (laughs) You do that with your tea, one more spoon of sugar. 
Huh? It changes the whole tea drinking experience. Hmm? Add a little bit of time, a little bit of time, a little bit of time to your deen, to your ibadat. What does it mean? You will steal one bit of time from your ghafla and add it to your deen. View it like that. Steal the time back that shaitan and nafs has been stealing from us. Hmm? Reclaim that time. You tell you people to reclaim your property. Oh, mashallah. Huh? Reclaim your inheritance. Allah Akbar Kabira. Hmm? Your warasat. Hmm? Time is your warasat. Time is an amount given to us from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Slow cooked, slow cooked. You add some time. You add some time. Hazrat Shaykh Ashafali Talmirim Allah Ta'ala. Allah Akbar Kabira. Ajeeb, it's mentioned about him. He had such a strict timetable that one of his biographers wrote like this that if you went to him at 10 a.m., and then you went 15 years later, again at 10 a.m., he'd be doing exactly the same thing. He was so precisely organized. The only person in my life I've seen like that is Shaykh al-Islam Mufti Muhammad Taqir Usmani And I've witnessed this several times. I've never seen anybody in my life as time conscious as him. Ajeeb, he's a master of his time. The Arabs they used to have this saying, one person is Abul Waqt. That means father means master of time. Another person is Abdul Ibn al-Waqt. Son of time means he's the slave of time. Hmm? Master of his time. Okay, now me and you, it, we can't be like that. Right? It's, that's a high level. Okay, what you should do is take few minutes. 10 minutes of your day, 20 minutes of your day, something like that. And be a master of that. And use that in some zikr, some dua, some recitation of Quran. This is what Mashaikh they call ma'mulat. Why is it called ma'mul? Because you do it so regularly, it becomes your ma'mul. It becomes your habit, your practice. You do it so regularly, you do so much amal ma'mul, it's done. It's definitely done every day. Now people today, they have ma'muls in dunya. They say it's their ma'mul to drink tea after asr. It's their ma'mul, they go for a walk after fajr. They use this word, ma'mul. What does it mean? They do it without fail. So you have to have few small azkar that you do this with. Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he said, Ahabbul a'mali indallahi adwamuha wa inqalla that the most beloved acts to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are the ones that you do the most regularly even if they're few in number. So you pick a few, you start with a few, but you master them in terms of your time. Even if we can just reclaim that inshallah, this will be a way that we keep the ghaflat away. Really, I'm telling you, we live in a day and age, it's not even required now you keep all ghaflat away. If you can just keep half an hour of ghaflat away every day, keep a one hour of ghaflat away every day, start with 10-20 minutes every day, Allah Ta'ala will put barakah in that, and Allah Ta'ala will make it a means of our hifazah. And inshallah you will experience this yourself, that those days that I did my 20-30 minutes ma'mulat, I felt nur and sukoon and barakah and hifazah that day. I felt my gaze lowering that day. I felt my anger disappeared that day. I felt my softness and gentleness coming out that day. And those days I didn't do my 20, 30, 10, however minutes you can master my ma'mulat. Oh, my mind was scattered that day. I got a bit excited that day. I got worked up that day. I couldn't control my gaze that day. You will find this practically. So now that many ulama masai come to you, mashallah, and tell you very similar things, it's time for you to start practicing. It's time for you to start 
living. It's not enough to just listen. Alhamdulillah, you listen with love, you listen with sincerity. But remember, sami'na wa ata'na. You have to listen and you have to implement and you have to practice. May Allah give me and you and all of us tawfiq to do amal on all the ilm that we have of deen. And may Allah give us tawfiq to do amal on what was shared tonight. وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين بإن دعاء سبحان ربنا ورحم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم ربنا ظلمنا أنفسنا وإن لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكون من الخاسرين رب اغفر وارحم وأنت خير الراحمين يا رب كريم forgive us for all the time that we wasted in our life Forgive us for all the news that we read, we could have read Qur'an. Forgive us for all the things that we learnt in this world, we could have learned Qur'an. Forgive us for all the stories we know, we could have learnt Hadith. Ya Rabbi Karim, we are ashamed in front of you. Ya Rabbi Karim, put this shame in our heart. Make it change our heart. Make it change our life. Make it a means of saving us from shamefulness on the Day of Judgment. Ya Rabbi Kareem, give us tawfiq to do amal on every hadith of Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, especially those that were shared tonight. Ya Rabbi, let us value our time, let us value our youth, let us value our health, let us value our parents, let us value our very life itself. Ya Rabbi Kareem, forgive us for all the ghafla that we're in. Take us out from every attraction, every infatuation, every hobby, every pastime. Ya Rabbi Kareem, bring us into amal al-salih. Bring us into ibadat. Bring us into khidmat al-deen. Bring us into dawat al-deen. Bring us into learning deen. Make our time valuable, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Rabbi, ask your forgiveness. For all the time we wasted after Ramadan, all the things that we returned to after Ramadan, all the sins we restarted after Ramadan, help us be true in our tawbah, Ya Rabb. Grant us istiqamat on deen, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Rabb, it was only your karam and fazl that we were able to fast, accept those fasts from us, Ya Rabb. It was only your karam and fazl that you gave us the strength to pray taraweeh, accept those prayer from us, Ya Rabb. Ya Rabb, you gave us strength to rise in the night and pray tahajjud and make suhoor make us strong again Ya Rabbi Kareem take these good amal of ours and make them good ahwal of ours take these acts that we did and make them into our reality Ya Rabbi Kareem Ya Rabbi on this night we make dua that we want you to change who we are we want you to change our sifat we want you to change our ahwal make us in a way that is pleasing to you that you are rally with us Ya Rabbi Kareem change our batin and make it like the batin of Nabi Kareem Change our akhlaq and make it like the akhlaq of Nabi Kareem Change our character sifat and make it like the character sifat of Nabi Kareem Ya Rabbi Kareem, on this night we pledge we can give up any of our personality, any of our proclivity, any of our preference in order to become more pleasing to you except this need from us on this night. Make it easy for us, Ya Rabb. Give us a life of deen, lifestyle of deen, a family upon deen, a home upon deen, spouses upon deen, children upon deen, friends upon deen, neighbors upon deen. Ya Rabbi Kareem, drown us in this deen. Keep us always attached to deen. Let us die upon this deen. Raise us amongst the Ahl deen. And unite us with the people of deen. Save us from the regrets of Jannah and make us pious in this world. Save us from the regrets of Jannah and make us zakir in this world. Ya Rabbi Kareem, you said in Quran, Inna al-hasanat yudhibna 
Shayat. And Ya Rabbi, you said elsewhere in Quran that you can even change the sins and make them into good deeds. Ya Rabbi, on this night we make dua. Every single sin that we ever did in our life, change it into hasanat, change it into an ibadat, change it into a khidmat, change it into a good deed. Ya Rabbi, can we make dua to you on this night that any and every moment we spent in ghafla, Change it into a moment of zikr, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Change all our ghafla into zikr, Ya Rabbi Kareem. And from now on, henceforth, make us conscientious mu'mineen. Make us, Ya Rabb, zakirin mu'mineen. Muttaqeen mu'mineen. Salihin mu'mineen. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Allah, we ask that you put barakah in our time, barakah in our health, barakah in our youth, barakah in our life, barakah in our homes, barakah in our risk. Protect us from all the evil in this world. Protect us from the fitna in this world. Protect us from the facade in this world. Protect us from the fisk and fajur of our own nafs. Protect us from the waswasa and makar of shaitan. Keep us in your hifazah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Rabbana takambal minna innaka anta sami'ul alim. وَتُبُوا عَلَيْنَا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ التَّوَابُ الرَّحِيمُ وَصَلَّى اللَّهُ تَعَالَى عَلَى حَبِيبِهِ سَيْدْنَا مُحَمَّدٍ وَعَلَى آلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ أَجْمَعِينَ بِرَحْمَتِكَ يَا أَرْحَمَ الْغَافِمِينَ